This message is brought to you on behalf of the CD ministry of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Our senior pastor, Matt Shea, is currently going through a series in the book of Mark, talking about the significance of Jesus Christ in our lives. Someone once jokingly said that when these bodies turn 40, the warranties start to run out. While it becomes easy to focus on these afflicted mortal shells that house us, Paul reminds us that he who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us. In his sermon entitled, How Not to Lose Heart, our discipleship pastor, Lou Dawson, reminds us not to focus on the things which are seen, because they are only temporary. The best is yet to come. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4, and today we're looking at chapters 13 through 18. And now, here's Lou. As many of you know, my wife Karen has suffered for many years with uh, migraine headaches. And those of you who have experienced these little devils know how painful and debilitating they can really be. And over the past 20 years or so, Karen's headaches have unfortunately progressively become more severe and frequent, sometimes occurring every day for weeks on end. And... Those of you who have had chronic pain, you know that it has a way of kind of wearing you down, both physically and emotionally. And as a result, Karen has had to rely very heavily on the Lord in order to not grow weary and just give up. And as men, we we're, we kind of seem to be hardwired with a, a desire to help those people who we, we dearly love. And I can, must confess that they're have been days when I have felt so helpless and so discouraged that that I really grew frustrated at the Lord. And especially recently, and I praise God for this, that He has been graciously teaching me how to not grow weary and give up. And in the Scriptures, this is referred to as not losing heart. And I know many of you have dealt with with heartache and pain. Many of you have experienced serious illness, ongoing physical pain, unemployment recently that has led to financial hardship, the heartache of broken relationships, and the list of things just goes on and on. And if any of you who haven't, guess what? You will eventually. Jesus said that in this world we have tribulation. And I think most of us here can testify that he was really right on the mark in that one. And even the greatest saints were not immune from suffering. For all of the godliness and the fruitful labor that the Apostle Paul had, he suffered more than probably any of us ever will. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23-28, through 28, Paul gives a summary of the sufferings that he endured. He said, I have been beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, Dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. 
Apart from these such things that are external, there is the daily pressure of me for concern for all the churches. You know, unfortunately for us, Paul also revealed how we can endure these tremendous sufferings without losing heart and giving up. And that's what we're going to look at today. The title of this morning's sermon is How to Not Lose Heart. And our text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But now before we look at the text, it's important that we understand the context that motivated the Apostle Paul to write this letter of 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul founded the church at Corinth amidst much persecution on his second missionary journey, probably somewhere around 52 A.D. And from the start, this church presented many unique challenges. First of all, the church existed in one of the most decadent and immoral cities in all of the known world. Corinth was kind of the Las Vegas of Paul's day. And in fact, the practices of the Corinthians were so debauched that in that time, living in sexual sin was was characterized as Corinthianizing. And in his first letter to the Corinthian church, it was written about 55 AD, he spent a large part of that letter dealing with some of this debauchery that unfortunately had infiltrated the Corinthian church. And not only that, from the beginning, the Corinthian church was riddled with division. Again, much of the first Corinthians letter was devoted to dealing with these divisions, which were unfortunately tearing this church apart. Many false teachers had also infiltrated this church, and they were seeking to gain a foothold there. And knowing that they must counter the Apostle Paul's influence to succeed, these false teachers embarked on a smear campaign against him. And among their false accusations were that Paul was a weak and ineffective leader. He was bold in his writings, but when you saw him there, he was really kind of a wimp. And he also said that Paul couldn't possibly be a true apostle, and that the sufferings that he was suffering were simply God punishing him for his disobedience. And this smear campaign was unfortunately very effective and succeeded in convincing a significant number within the Corinthian church that Paul was a fraud. And Paul evidently visited them and actually heard these accusations from their very mouths. And what made this so hard is that the Apostle Paul was the one that had brought so many of these people to Christ and had nurtured them in their faith. And imagine what that must have been like, hearing these false accusations from those he loved. It tore his heart up. And he was very discouraged, and even at points, deeply depressed. In fact, describing this time, in 2 Corinthians 7, 5-6, Paul said this, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Well, after hearing these accusations right from the mouths of the Corinthians, Paul returned back to Ephesus and wrote what he referred to as his severe letter, And we've lost this. We don't have a copy of it today. 
And this scathing epistle evidently motivated many of the Corinthians to repent and to quit listening to these false teachers in their midst. And 2 Corinthians was written by Paul to the Corinthian church after they repented and to seek to reestablish his authority and his ministry among them. He was comforted by their response to his severe letter, but he also knew that he needed to defend the sincerity and the integrity of his ministry in order to counter the impact of any of the remaining false teachers that would most unlike that would undoubtedly be there. Now with this understanding of Paul's painful situation, let's begin studying our text for today. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4 and look at verse 16, which is really in the middle of our text. And notice that Paul says that in spite of this very difficult situation, therefore we do not lose heart. Now the therefore means that what Paul has said previously provides reasons why he did not lose heart. And thus, we must actually start reading back at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13, as Paul explains to the Corinthians the first of six reasons why he endured and didn't give up, even when he was discouraged and suffering. So read along with me, starting at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith... According to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Let's stop right there. Now in these verses we see the first reason why Paul endured suffering and didn't give up. And that was his faith. Now notice that in talking about this faith that Paul quotes an Old Testament passage here to help his readers understand what that faith is like. And the verse that he quoted is Psalm 116, verse 10 from the Septuagint. So what is the situation under which the psalmist says, I believe, therefore I spoke? Psalm 116, verses 3 through 4 states this situation. The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. So when the psalmist spoke and he cried out to the Lord, he believed that the Lord would deliver him. And in Psalm 116, verses 6 through 8, we see what happened after the psalmist cried out to the Lord in faith. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. So Paul is saying that he maintained the same spirit of faith in the middle of suffering, and as a result, kept on boldly ministering and speaking forth the gospel. He was confident, like the psalmist, that the Lord would deliver him. Now, back in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14 shows us what Paul put his faith in. The promise that the Lord would resurrect both himself and the Corinthians unto glory in the presence of Jesus. And indeed, the scriptures do promise this. We read in Jude 24, 
Now to Him who is able to keep you and I from stumbling and to make us stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You see, someday all of us who trust in the Lord will know the unspeakable joy as we appear in His presence. And Paul understood this, and this knowledge enabled him to suffer and not give up. And it's interesting to note that Paul's faith was not that the Lord would deliver him in his present situation. And indeed, we find out later in 2 Corinthians that in his present situation, Paul said he was content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties. For he was looking to the ultimate deliverance that was promised by the Lord. So Paul endured suffering and didn't give up because his faith was in the Lord and His Word. To endure suffering and not give up, we must do likewise. And recently I found that this was the area where really I needed to grow to avoid getting discouraged and not give up. You see, when things were going rough, I was tempted to lapse into discouragement and doubt about the goodness of God. And maybe you've experienced that same thing when times got tough. And when this temptation came, I had to choose to believe what the Lord said, whether it made sense or not. I had to choose to believe that according to Romans 8.28, that God was working in this situation, causing all things to work together for the good because I loved Him and I was called according to His purpose. I had to choose to believe that according to James chapter 1, 2 through 4, that the Lord was allowing this trial to come into my life out of love for me and that He was going to use this to make me into a mature, godly man. I had to choose to believe that according to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, which we'll look at here in a few minutes, that as I endured suffering with a God-focused attitude, that I would be rewarded someday by the Lord. I had to choose to believe that according to Psalm 27, verse 13, that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, you and I must choose to put our faith in the Lord and in His Word in order to endure and not give up. So moving on to verse 15 of our text, we see the second reason why Paul endured suffering and did not give up, and that was because of his life goal. Read verse 15 with me. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. You know, even though Paul was suffering as he ministered, he saw that the gospel was transforming lives. He saw that men and women were being saved from lives of futility to lives of purpose and fulfillment. And as a result of these changes, people were giving thanks to the Lord for their new lives in Christ. And this thanksgiving was bringing glory to the Lord. You see, Paul's goal in life was to allow himself to be used for the glory of the Lord. 
This was his life ambition. And Paul even went on to exhort the Corinthians to have the same ambition. He said, whether you Corinthians, then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the question that naturally arises is, well, how did living to bring glory to the Lord enable Paul to suffer and not give up? Well, this commitment to bringing the Lord glory, it greatly simplified Paul's life. With this commitment in place, the most important decisions were already made in his life. Well, what should I devote my life to? Answer, the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel would bring glory to God. This was Paul's life work. Well, what should I spend my money on? Answer, spend money on furthering God's glory through furthering the gospel. Well, where should I devote my time? Answer, devote time to activities that would further conform you to the image of Christ so that your life will show forth the greatness of the Lord and spread the gospel. And as Paul lived out these decisions based on the ultimate priority to bring glory to God, he was mightily used to bring many to faith in Christ. He saw the grace of God, which he was preaching, spreading to more and more people, resulting in glory to the Lord. And thus, Paul's goal brought significance and meaning to his life, which in turn enabled him to endure suffering. You see, Paul's goal was to bring glory to God. And to endure suffering and not give up, we must make the same commitment as Paul. So moving on to verse 16 of our text, we see the third reason why Paul endured suffering and didn't give up, and that was his renewal. Read verse 16 along with me. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. A few minutes ago we looked at a passage later on in 2 Corinthians where Paul described the horrific suffering that he had been through. And as you might guess, these sufferings had aged Paul very greatly. In Paul's case, it was truly the classic Harrison Ford line, you know, it was not the age, but the mileage. You know, Paul could see that his outer man was decaying. And the word that he used here was the word that's used of a wool garment that's being eaten up by moths. And this was kind of a picture of Paul's body as he saw it when he wrote 2 Corinthians. Now, in contrast to this, when Paul looked at his inner man, his spirit and his soul, he saw that he was being renewed. He observed that his inner man was continually, day by day, with each passing day, being transformed into a much better state. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul used this same word, this renewal word, and gave us an insight into what this renewal looked like. He said, put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. The renewal that Paul observed in himself was a transformation into the image of Christ. And earlier in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 3, verse 18, Paul commented this. He said, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And because Paul's hope was fixed on eternity, he was greatly encouraged as he reflected on this transformation into the image of Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And thus Paul, as he saw the Lord renew him daily, transforming him into the image of Christ. This encouraged him greatly. But this renewal, this transformation into the image of Christ, it it didn't come automatically for Paul. And guess what? It doesn't come automatically for us either. I mean, being really honest, most of us know Christians who are growing older yet seemingly less like Christ. You know a few of those? You see, we must place ourselves in a proper position to be progressively transformed into the image of Christ. And in the verse we just looked at, Paul explains how to position ourselves for renewal. Again, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. You see, the key to this transformation into Christ's likeness is beholding the glory of the Lord. And how do we behold the glory of the Lord? Well, guess what? This book right here, it's full of the glory of the Lord. As He's revealed in the pages of Scripture, we start to begin being changed into the very picture of what we're looking at. We're transformed into the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. The more time we spend abiding in the Lord in His presence as we look at the pages of Scripture, the more we will be changed. And yes, there is a direct connection between being renewed, being daily transformed into the image of Christ and enduring suffering and not giving up. As we witness this renewal, it gives us hope that we are indeed being prepared for glory. And this renewal causes us to know that the Lord is keeping His promise that He who began a good work will perfect it until the day of Christ. You see, to endure suffering and not give up, we must put ourselves in a position to be transformed and be encouraged by this renewal. So moving on to verse 17 of our text, we see the fourth reason why Paul endured suffering and didn't give up, and that was his perspective. Read the first part of verse 17 along with me. For momentary light affliction. And we're going to stop right there. I don't know about you, but after reading what Paul just went through and then reading this statement here, I wonder if the guy needed a mental evaluation. And yet, here in black and white is Paul's perspective on his suffering. And notice the first word that he says. He says, it was momentary. And the emphasis of this word is that Paul knew that his suffering was temporary. He knew that one day he would see Jesus and that his, his worn-out body would be transformed and would be perfect and eternal. And in the book of Revelation, we come to understand what will happen when we go to be with the Lord. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, 
And God Himself will be among them, and He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And there will no longer be any death, and no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. You see, someday when we will be with the Lord, there won't be any more of this stuff. No pain, no death. Nothing that will make us sad. And we'll live in that state for all eternity. Can I get an amen to that? You're pretty cool. And notice that Paul viewed his suffering as light. And the emphasis on this word is that the suffering was lightweight and it really wasn't of any consequence. And the reason why Paul could look at his suffering in this way is because Paul actually had a glimpse of the glory of heaven. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul reveals that he had actually seen it. And with this perspective, having seen the glory that of our eternal home, Paul commented this in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul had seen this glory he would experience in heaven. And when he compared it to his current earthly suffering, no comparison. The suffering was, was lightweight and compared to the eternal weight of glory which he knew awaited him. And you see, Paul viewed his suffering from an eternal perspective. And to endure suffering and not give up, we must adopt this same view. So moving on to verse 17b of our text, we see the fifth reason why Paul endured suffering and didn't give up, and that was his reward. Read the second part of verse 17 with me. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. Now first notice something very interesting here. He says, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Now you see, Paul viewed his suffering as he viewed it in the right manner as momentary light affliction. He knew that this would this would produce or bring about a glorious reward. And essentially, suffering with the right perspective is the cause of a greater reward. And essentially, Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 4.13. He says, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. Now, second, Paul reveals in his own words the true nature of the glory that this suffering with joy will produce. It will produce an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, many of you with different translations are probably noticing that Paul's last phrase, far beyond all comprehension, is translated a little differently. And the reason why there are a number of different translations is that Paul really couldn't find the right word to figure out how to express how staggeringly vast our glorious reward will be. So Paul, as he occasionally did, when he couldn't find the right word or phrase, what did he do? He made up his own. 
And the literal translation of this verse from the Greek is that momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is extraordinary unto extraordinary. The rewards we receive will be they'll be completely immeasurable. So what are some of the rewards that we will receive someday? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 tells us that our bodies will be transformed into a body like the one that Jesus has. Perfect and untemptable. Yes! Can hardly wait for that day. Revelation 22, 3-4 tells us that we will serve the Lord and see His face forever. Romans 8, 16-17 tells us that as the Lord's children we will be fellow heirs with Christ and thus forever co-owners of everything in all creation. 2 Timothy 2.12 tells us that we will rule with Jesus during the millennium. And Jude 24, which we looked at earlier, reveals that we will experience intense and extreme joy for all of eternity. And I don't know about you, but that sounds awesome to me. You see, Paul knew that his suffering would produce vast eternal rewards. And to endure suffering and not give up, we must believe this exact same thing. So moving on to verse 18 of our text, we see the sixth reason why Paul endured suffering and didn't give up. And that was his daily focus. Read verse 18 along with me. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And to understand what Paul is saying here, we must first understand the word that he used in this verse for the word look. In the Greek, there are at least 15 different words that Paul could have chosen from and used here. But interestingly, he picked one word very carefully that is only used five other times in the New Testament. And this word for look means to 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 keep on pondering and thinking about, to keep on studying. You see, Paul didn't just occasionally kind of kind of casually think about eternal things. These thoughts were his constant, intentional, daily focus. He deliberately focused his life and his thinking on things that were eternal. We also need to consider what these unseen eternal things were. So I'll ask you, what do you think the unseen eternal things were that Paul focused on? What do you think? What do you guys think? Stump the stars here, huh? People. People getting saved, yeah. But people in general, that's one of the things he focused on. Other things? Eternal? Eternal things. What's that? The work of the Holy Spirit. God himself is eternal. Yes. Well, there are three things that the Scripture tells us that are eternal. And the first, as Bruce said, are people. All people. Christians or non-Christians. They're all immortal. The only difference is, is where are they going to spend eternity? And second, the Lord Himself. The Lord is the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. He's the eternal one. And third, God's Word. 
God's Word is eternal. In Isaiah 40, verse 8, He says this, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. These are the things that Paul focused his attention on. He was always thinking and praying about who he would share the Gospel with. He was constantly seeking to exhort, to encourage, to build up and to teach Christians who were brought his way. And his life goal was to know the Lord, to study the Scriptures, because the Scriptures reveal who the Lord is and how we can come to know Him. And knowing that Paul was investing in eternal things of eternal worth, he didn't grow weary and discouraged. He knew his ministry was having eternal implications, and therefore he didn't give up. And like Paul, for us to endure suffering and not give up, we must daily focus our activities on what is eternal. God Himself, God's Word, and people. In closing, I'd like to share a brief story. The devil was going to put his tools up for sale one day. And on the date of the sale, the tools were all neatly placed out for public inspection, each being marked with its, with its sale price. And there was a significant number of just terrible tools on display. There was hatred and envy and jealousy and doubt and lying and pride and so on. Well, laid apart from the rest of the tools was a kind of a harmless-looking tool. It was unnamed, and yet it was well-worn. And the price on the tool was extraordinarily high. Well, what's the name of that tool over there? Asked one of the purchasers. Well, that's, that's suffering, replied the devil. Why have you priced it so high, asked the purchaser. Because it's more useful to me than all the other tools, replied the devil. I can pry open and get inside of a person's heart with that one when I can't get near to him with other tools. And then once inside, I can make him do nearly anything I want, even getting him so discouraged that he completely gives up. It's a badly worn tool because... I use it on almost everyone. The devil's price for suffering was so high that he never sold that tool that day. And it's still his major tool and he still uses it on God's people today seeking to get them to give up. You know, even though the Apostle Paul suffered unimaginably and even though he got discouraged he didn't give up and he didn't lose heart and praise the Lord that he showed us six steps by which we too can endure the suffering which inevitably will come our way and not give up let's pray hey thanks for being with us today 
It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.